Hello and welcome to The Greg Ryder Show, where inspiration meets unpredictability in this electrifying variety show that will keep you hooked from start to finish. I'm your host, Greg Ryder, and I cannot wait to take you on this adventure. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I've partnered up with the right people that uh, we are bringing this to life. Each week, we are going to dive into the lives of extraordinary individuals. We're going to talk about their remarkable stories and their inspiring backgrounds, and we're going to talk about how they got to where they are today. If it's musicians and artists to creatives to tech entrepreneurs to thought leaders, we want to find out who they are and what got them to where they are today. We're going to talk about their trials, their triumphs, and just everything in between. Now, this is not your ordinary podcast. I'm not your ordinary host. You know what? We don't have a script. We don't know where this is going to go. But I hope this takes you on a roller coaster of emotions and it takes you from laughing to crying to thinking. And the mission is just to entertain, enlighten, and inspire you. So all I got to say is fasten your seatbelts, open your heart, and get ready for the Greg Ryder Show. Let's go. So I want to start this podcast with my story and how I got to sitting in this chair. There I was, downtown Nashville, in front of hundreds of people on a Friday night in Nashville, Tennessee. For the next four hours, I was their entertainment. I was playing country covers, I was girls were attracted to me, and the drinks were free. On the outside, it looked like my dreams were taking off, but on the inside, I was holding on for dear life. How did I get on that stage? Just a year and a half prior to that, I was living down in the Cayman Islands, and I was a bartender at Margaritaville. I had no real plan for my life or what I wanted to do. I just had to get away from my hometown for a bit and kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life again. You see... I never had a plan to move to Nashville. I was just on the island and this girl came up to me and said, you should try Nashville. And I was like, you know what? I'm down to just check it out. And four days later, after being there, I managed to book a show off Broadway and I canceled my trip back to the Cayman Islands. When I was living down in Nashville, I didn't really know how I was going to make money or how this whole thing was going to work. I just kind of really just wanted to figure out as I went. And I was doing, you know, random jobs, um, getting paid under the table. Um, You know, I was just, uh, I was couch surfing for the first two months just with random people that I met and random friends that I still talk to today. And I was also dog sitting and house sitting. And I just had to find a way to live down there because I was always kind of the kid that had these massive dreams that never really followed through with any of them. 
So now that I was living in Nashville, I had to find a way to stay down there. And I, I pretty much made it my mission. I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay down there. And you know, the hard work paid off because after six months of living down there, I got my P2 permit. I got you know legal to be an entertainer in the States. And I was playing six nights a week with my band, Downtown Nashville, and touring on weekends uh, around the US. But you see... I never had a plan of ever living in Nashville. I never even had a dream of being a full-time musician. So how did I end up on that stage? For, to fully understand how I got there, I need to take you back in time. I need to kind of talk to you about kind of the years leading up to, to Nashville and kind of what made me into the person I am today. I want to properly introduce myself. So my full name is Greg Ryder Farrell. I go by Greg Ryder. I was born in just outside of Toronto in Mississauga, Ontario, and I was raised in Waterdown, Ontario. And, you know, growing up, I, I, I just played tons of sports. I was always just involved with extracurricular activities and, and sports. And, you know, I was always the class clown. I was always the guy in the back of the class that was always trying to make people laugh. And I was just trying to think ahead on, on what I could do to get a reaction out of my peers and the teachers. And that's kind of who I was. I never could really sit still. I was never really focused. I was just all about trying to make people laugh and entertain them. And that reputation followed me into high school. You know, if, if you were to ask someone what, what I was like in high school, they'd probably say, you know, I was, a, I was a jock. I played a lot of sports. I was part of the popular crowd. And, you know, all that is true. A lot of people would say that I was this really confident guy, but what they didn't see was just the insecurities and a lot of the self-doubt that stayed in my mind behind closed doors. I was never really a confident guy. I put on this front that I was, and I never really had a plan of what I was going to do with my life. Like I, I felt like Everyone had this plan except for me, and I was just this lost kid that was trying to figure it out, and I used a lot of partying and alcohol to kind of numb everything that was going on because it allowed me to escape. I never had a plan, and I, and I remember this story that happened in my senior year, and this was a kind of a big moment in my life, but I remember sitting in, a, in an exercise science class. And we, you know, it was getting close to the end of the class and we had about five minutes left. And I remember the teacher kind of wanted to end on a different note. So what she did was she went around the class and she, she said, raise your hand. I want to hear what you guys are doing after high school. Everyone's hand shot up. Everyone was just so excited to tell the teacher what they were doing. Now, me, I'm the guy that never loses an opportunity to raise my hand and say something clever. But on this time, I was quiet in the back of the class, hiding, pretty much hiding my head in my arm because I did not want to answer that question. So she looks around the room and she kind of sees everybody and she, she picks a couple of students and you know they, they do this extravagant plan. Like they had their next 10 years plan of what they were going to do. She starts walking back through the, through, the, through the different aisles and she sees me. She goes, Greg, your hand's not raised. What's going on? What do you want to do after high school? And I looked at her and I said, Miss D, I have no clue. 
I have no clue what I want to do. And, you know, a couple snickers and some laughs kind of went around the classroom because if you don't know what you want to do, that's kind of funny, I guess. And I said to her, I said, I knew I had to come up with something clever and I had to, had to say something. So I said, Misty, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up, but I just know I'm going to be a millionaire. And she said, oh, really? And how do you plan on doing that? And I said, uh, I have no clue. I'm going to hopefully entertain people. And, you know, I just, I just want to be an entertainer. And, and she said, Greg, if anyone were, were to have said that in the class, I wouldn't believe them. But I don't know what you're going to do with your life. But when you finally figure out what you're going to do, you're going to be amazing at it. I remember hearing that. And for the first time in my life, I felt seen. I didn't feel like a dumb jock. I didn't feel like someone that didn't have a plan that, you know, just had no idea of what I wanted to do. I just felt like for the first time someone saw something in me that I could be more than just the life I was living. I spent the next couple di- days with the guidance counselor trying to figure out, okay, what is my plan? What am I going to do? And she asked me, hey, Greg, what are your passions? I said, Honestly, like my passions right now are like sports. I like playing sports. Um, you know, I like I like talking on camera. I was part of the morning TV announcements during high school, and and that was so much fun. And yeah, like I don't know. That's I don't have much. And she said, "Greg, have you ever thought about being a sports broadcaster?" I was like, "Sounds kind of cool." Just what I what I told her was, you know, what she didn't know was every single morning I got up, I watched sports highlights. Like that was my thing. I would sit and eat a bowl of cereal and I would just watch the sports highlights from the night before. So I thought about that. I'm like, that'd be kind of cool to be able to talk about sports and do highlights. So we, we looked around for some programs and schools and we found a school that offered the program. And she said, what about this? So I said, yeah, I'm down. I walked back out to my peers and we're talking and I said, yeah, like I was just talking with the guidance counselor and, and we we're talking about being a sports broadcaster. And everyone goes, oh my God, I can totally see you doing that. You see, I was so worried about what people thought of me back then that I lived my life off the approval of others. I might not have wanted to be a sports broadcaster, but because people saw me as one, I almost convinced myself that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. Grow up. So I did that. I, I kind of I went hard at being a sports broadcaster. I went to school for it and I went to college. I managed to get a scholarship playing volleyball um, at Niagara College back in Ontario and I was way more focused on sports and girls than I was on actual education. But I still graduated a program and I'm proud of myself like that I actually went through and actually did this. So but the thing is, is, is in the final year, I didn't really see myself doing sports broadcasting. Like I didn't see myself moving to some little town far away that finally gave me the opportunity to do weather at 4 a.m. Like I didn't love it enough to dedicate my life to it. And I think that's so important when you're trying to figure out what you want to do. Like you, you have to figure out the thing that you're willing to struggle for. Like what is that thing that is going to just make you want to go to the depths of everything to kind of figure out what you want to do. For me, that wasn't broadcasting. And in our final year, we actually had to do an internship in 
um, you know, in, in something that we felt we could see ourselves doing a job at, like eventually down the road, right? So all my classmates, they had these, these uh, internships at radio uh, companies and TV broadcasting, and, and they had all these jobs. And for me, they're like, Greg, what are you going to do? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to bartend. I'm going to bartend up in Muskoka. Like, that's what, that's what I'm doing. And they're like, but Greg, don't you want to do like something with radio or TV? I was like, honestly, not right now. I'm 21 years old. Like, I want to go and just live my life. So instead of doing, you know, uh, a job at a radio station, I moved up to Muskoka and I was a bartender. To this day, that's still one of my favorite summers because I got to live up there and meet some some great people and just have an amazing summer. And I remember I had to find an internship by the school year in September. I waited to the last week when a TV producer came onto the property and he pretty much followed me around the resort. And, um, you know, he liked my bartending. He liked the conversations we had. And at the end of it, I said, hey, man, do you mind me asking what you do? And he says, yeah, I'm a, I'm a TV producer at a company in Toronto. And I said, no way. Funny story, I actually need to get an internship or I have to write a 10,000-word essay. Is there any chance that you'd hire me to, do, to work for free pretty much at an internship for you? And he goes, yeah, I think we could probably figure something out. And I managed to find an internship with about one week remaining in the summer until I had to go back to, um, back to the job, and I found it. I got an internship. I was so excited. I went back to school, and I said, yep, we're good. I got an internship. I'm going into Toronto. So now, here I was doing an internship, and I was pretty much doing free labor. I made a lot of coffee. I swept a lot of floors. I helped with odd things around the studio, and these guys, they were known for you know doing a lot of production. So they would do things like Cash Cab, and they were part of that show. They did a whole bunch of corporate videos, and it was definitely a really cool place to learn. Um, something that was very cool to happen was uh, the Humble and Fred podcast was actually in the studio right next door to us. So I got to actually meet those guys, Humble and Fred, and be on the show one day because they, they found out I could play guitar and sing. So I actually went on the Humble and Fred show and played a song. Probably one of the worst performances I've ever had, but that's not part of the story. But after that internship, I remember like two months into it, something changed the, the entire trajectory of my life. And this is something that I do recall, you know, very vividly in my journey on a point in my life which actually altered everything. And, you know, when I was 21, I was involved in a six-car crash uh, on a major highway in Ontario. And, you know, I walked away from that. And, but I still remember sitting on the side of the road and asking myself one question. If I died in that crash, how would people remember me? And to be honest, I didn't like my answer. My answer was, you know, I was a kid that liked to party and didn't really have a plan. I, I was just kind of just wandering through life with no, no real purpose. And, you know, I thought about that. I thought about kind of like, if I were to die, what would people say about me? And, and having that answer not agree with me, it made me think about everything. Like, I'm like, man, like, I don't want to go out like this. 
Like I want to change my life. I want to make a life that I could be proud of, that I can look back on one day and just be like, man, I lived one hell of a life and I did so many cool things. I inspire people and I just lived a really cool life. And after that car crash, I, I really kind of flipped a switch. I stopped calling my party friends all the time. I stopped kind of just parting as much and kind of looking for these escapes. I was like, you know what? Like I need to kind of figure out what I really want to do. And, you know, it started to kind of some, some things started to come into my life. And I remember I was sitting at my grandma's house um, a couple months after this crash and I saw Tony Robbins on stage and he was at, he was on Oprah Winfrey. And I remember him coming on the stage with this incredible energy. And I was just like, he just grabbed a hold of the audience and everyone was just tuned into everything he was saying. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And my grandma next, next to me, she goes, yeah, I can see that. So here I was, 21 years old, 22 around this boat. I'm like, I want to be a motivational speaker. I want to stand up on stage and I want to deliver a powerful message. But the one thing was is I felt that I didn't have a story. And as much as I knew that I could probably stand up on stage and, and speak about something, I knew I had to believe in what I was talking about. And I had to show people that, you know, I had to show them the story. I fought back and forth for so long on, you know, wanting to be a motivational speaker. I even, you know, opened a motivational clothing line with my, my best friend, uh, Cal, at the time. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to inspire youth to chase after their dreams and to inspire them. And we, we created this clothing brand and we would sell T-shirts out of the back of, our tr- back of his truck in our hometown. And we actually went down to California and filmed a documentary about two friends from a small town in Ontario going out to California to chase their dreams. You know, somehow we managed to pull that together. And I think back on that, it was just such an incredible time because I managed to find a hotel sponsor. I managed to hire a videographer um, to come with us. And we just paid for his expenses and we paid for his food. And he traveled with us for about a month and a half around California. We even pu- we pulled off this incredible launch party in our hometown. We raised money to help us actually go across the country. So many cool things happened back then. But, you know, the company, you know, once we got to California, like things were happening. They were going we did some amazing things. We, you know, we went to the Chive headquarters. We were doing interviews all across California and Vegas, and things were going really well. But we had no idea what we were doing. Like we were just two kids with these big dreams and and no plan on what we were doing. And that started to catch up with us. And I think there was some alcohol infused and some some fun nights that made us think about our future. And uh, I even got my palm red down on the the beach in Santa Monica. And this was a $5 palm reading that literally got in my head and screwed a lot of things up for me because she told me, she was like, you're here for something. You're here for this entrepreneurial journey. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. We started this company. And, and she goes, okay. She goes, but that's not what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I was like, okay, that's not something good to hear. She goes, yeah, this is just a stepping stone uh, into what you're going to eventually do. And 
hearing that actually really screwed me up because it made me think like, okay, why am I doing this then? Why am I trying to start this clothing brand and this motivational clothing line when I'm not even going to be doing this for the rest of my life? I think that really created a wedge between me and my friend. And we started talking about our futures and we're like, do we really want to do this? And, you know, we ended up getting in a big fight and I actually, we tore down the company that day in California and I was about to leave him in California and just stay and he was going to drive home. Obviously, my mom talked some sense into me and she said, Greg, you started this thing. You went out to California with him, come home with him. And, you know, for that first 12 hours of that trip, it was completely awkward but we finally started talking and we just said to ourselves, you know what, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Let's just kind of fold the company and go on our way. So we went back to our hometowns and he went his way and I went my way. And I was just, I was on a, I was on a mission to, to create a story. And I moved out to Montreal and I had this person we met through the company motive that actually reached out to me and I said to him, I said, hey, I have nothing going on in my life. And he said, come out to Montreal and, and meet me. And, you know, he was involved in fitness and he just, he said, come out. So I went out and I saw the, the city of Montreal. And to be honest, I fell in love with the vibrance of that city. I just felt like it was a really cool city. And I was like, I'd be really interested in kind of exploring the city of Montreal. So I went back to Ontario and I actually moved out to Montreal. I just took a took a train out there and kind of started my new life. Um, and I remember, you know, I, I lived in a hostel for the first couple weeks. And the day that I got my my first apartment in Montreal, I remember walking into this apartment. It was completely bare. You know, there was like um, a couple sheets on the on the bed, and I remember just looking around. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to stay here tonight. Like, I'm going to go go do something. So I dropped, you know, my bags, and I went out on the city of Montreal, and I just typed in my my phone. I said, "Open mics on a Monday night in Montreal," and I took my guitar and I walked down to this local bar. Now, let me just get let me just paint this picture for you. To this point, I have never played live in front of a show. So that is a, um, was a very nerve-wracking thing. So I, I had to move six hours away from my hometown to get the confidence to actually sing in front of a crowd. And to be honest, it was probably one of my worst performances ever. But when I got off that stage, I realized that very moment that this was something that if I could get better at, I would love to be able to do this and just get better. So Montreal was kind of my my launch pad. It was the time when I started to do so many different things that made me uncomfortable. I started playing in subway stations. I started playing you know, on street corners. And I just wanted to get better at performing. And, you know, that's what I did. I kind of just went through the whole trying to become an entertainer and I had to move away to get the confidence to do it. I moved back home around 24 years old and I stayed home. And, and to be honest, 24 to 26 was definitely some of my darkest times of my life. You know, moving back to my hometown after living by myself in Montreal, I started to really kind of 
you know, fall back in with, you know, the group of friends and, you know, starting to bring back some some old ways of myself, my old drinking ways and kind of smoking and, and getting back into kind of my party phase. Obviously, I partied, partied a bit in Montreal, but it just felt different than back home. I found myself really in this in this rut from from 24 and and hitting this this midlife crisis where you know I thought my life was going to go totally different and I thought I'd be so much farther ahead in my life at 25 and I wasn't and that played a really big pivotal role on me and I remember driving to the doctors and telling the doctors that I had all these negative thoughts in my head that you know I'm starting to really be negative and I didn't like it. And he said, it sounds like you have anxiety. And I, you know, I went to a psychiatrist and I started talking and they pretty much just said, you know, he said to me, he said, Greg, I I can't figure you out. Some days you walk in here and you are, I can diagnose you with an anxiety disorder. And other times you walk in here, you're just a creative person without a plan. So he gave me some antidepressants for a couple of weeks and obviously that didn't work because you know it really turned me into a zombie and it cut my personality. And you know I was just not myself. And to make things worse, I had a hernia. So I actually woke up one morning with this huge lump in my groin. And obviously my head, my overthinking mind went to the worst thing possible and I thought it was cancer. So for about a couple of weeks, a month, I didn't do anything. All I did was just think about how bad this was. Like I was thinking cancer. I was thinking, oh my God, like my life is going to be over. You know, I finally went to the doctor and he told me that this is a hernia. So here I was at a time in my life where I was, you know, partying a lot. I was confused. I didn't have any plan again, but now I'm bedridden for six weeks. I sat in my bed and I just contemplated my life. I contemplated everything that I've done up to this point and I'm like, I really need to just go back out and get back out in the world because I'm the happiest when I am in uncomfortable situations. When I'm challenging myself and I'm putting myself in kind of situations that other people probably can't do, that's what actually makes me feel at home, which is kind of like chaos. Like that's, my happiness is when I, I, I'm in chaos and, and, and like my back is against the wall. I started kind of going on jobs and I, and I found this job in the Cayman Islands and I just decided to just apply for it and I ended up nailing the interview and I got the job. And I moved out to the Cayman Islands at 26 years old and I was just wanting to get gone because I needed a change of scenery. And obviously, it leads back to the front bit of the story where I went down to Nashville from the Cayman Islands and I stayed there. That's how I managed to get to the stage of Nashville. That's how I managed to, to build kind of the life that you know I had. And then in 2018, I moved back to Canada. And for me, it was... A lot of people thought that Nashville was too hard and that it broke me down. But really, the fact of the matter was is that kind of the shine wore off for me. The shine in Nashville wore off and I and I realized that my lifestyle was actually very dark. And it was not it was not the the life that I truly wanted to live. And in 2018, I decided that, you know, I was gonna go back for Christmas 
And I really, I stayed there for a couple weeks and then I said to my mom, I'm like, I don't feel like going back. And she said, why? And I said, I don't know. There's just something telling me that I got to stay here in Canada right now. And I decided that I was going to stay. And I left kind of everything that I created in Nashville. I left my friends behind. I left the kind of the, the name that I was building out there. And I toured across Canada and I spoke at 90 schools and I reached 30,000 students with my story on hope and resiliency about moving to Nashville and, you know, just fighting through kind of some of my mental health. And that was an incredible journey for me because I got to speak to youth and I got to tell them all the things that no one told me in high school. And that was, it's okay to not know what you want to do. It's okay to be confused and think that everyone else has this plan because you know what? The truth of the matter is no one has a plan. They have an idea. And you know what? I just read this little quote in the bathroom before this podcast and it said, you know, life is not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And to be honest, that is who I've done for the last 10 years. I've created myself. I've created the man. I created this vision of who I wanted to be. And that's the reason that I'm living out here in Alberta today. That's the reason that I'm about two years moving out west. And for the first time in my life, I finally feel like I found a place I can call home, which is a very surprising feeling for a man that has just wandered in Rome for most of his life. So I'm so excited to to be here. To This is the, the launch pad of the Greg Ryder Show. I'm so excited to dive into, you know, my story of how I got here in Alberta. And on the, on the first episode, we're bringing on a friend named Ken Shabib. And he is the reason that I live here today. So I'm so excited to just start this journey with you and, you know, with my friends at Rocket Grid. Uh, I'm just so excited to bring this to life. And, uh, prepare for just some really great interviews and some fun times and we're just going to take you on a journey so thank you guys for watching and tuning into the greg Ryder show and i can't wait to show you 